We only live once. We don't know when we're going to live to. Let's fucking show up. And was Andy Powell a Dennis Rodman, you know, that was misunderstood? You know, what a brilliant player he was that maybe didn't reach his full potential, if you ask him. It's a sign that we're in victim consciousness and we're running our life on survival instead of creativity. I kind of went on a journey a few years of, of going clubbing and taking ecstasy. Welcome to the Off-Field Rugby Pod. In this podcast, I uncover the secrets of how the best do what they do. And this is the podcast to listen to if you want to fulfill your potential as a player, coach, or as a person. I'm your host, Brian Moylet, former Irish age-grade international player, now mindset and performance coach, and author of the book on how to become a pro rugby player. This is the only book written to help rugby players with the mental side of the game. And it's the book that I needed 10 years ago. The foreword is by Robbie Henshaw. You can get your copy now on Amazon. The audiobook is on Audible. And if you're not yet on Audible, you can get it for free using a trial. And the link for that is in the podcast description. Please follow me on Instagram at Offfield Rugby, LinkedIn, Brian Moylet. Send the pod on to some friends and please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. If you want to work with me one on one or with your team, please message me through my website, offfieldrugby.com. Cheers. Hey, I hope you're keeping well. My guest this week, Craig White, has worked in strength and conditioning with the Welsh national team under Warren Gatland, the Irish rugby team, Leicester Tigers, Wasps, and the British and Irish Lions. And then in the past decade, he has changed lanes a little bit and he became a yoga teacher went down the mindfulness route and now he is a men's transformational coach and doing some really good work there I've been following him online over the last couple of years really enjoy his stuff and in the podcast we chat about coaching mavericks the alter ego and how you become the person that you want to be I love this chat with Craig. He has obviously been in some of the best rugby environments in the world, seen it firsthand, worked in them, and it's class getting his ideas and perspectives on performance. I know that there's been quite a few new listeners to the podcast over the last few weeks, so if that's you, welcome. Cheers for clicking in. Really appreciate it. Please make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss an episode, and be sure to check out some earlier ones. If you've been here for a while, appreciate you as always, and you will know that I'm living in Christchurch now, moved here earlier this year, and the team, the club team that I'm working with is Burnside Rugby Club. We've just started our season, they had a rough one last year, they went 0-13, we won our first game of the season, which was unreal, fair play to the lads, and then on Saturday we got humbled by last year's runners-up. So lots of learnings there, but it's really, really exciting. Brilliant group of lads. Uh, love them being involved in that club. And yeah, really excited for the season ahead. So Greg, chat to me about the work that you're doing now with Men Without Masks. Um, it's funny, actually. I had this conversation with someone earlier. Um, 
and we determined that it's such a, an intense experience to come on one of our Men Without Masks retreats. It's actually not that easy to explain what happens until you've been through the experience. So, you know, that the, the, there is a level of kind of mystery around what happens. Um, but I like that because the guys that come on our retreats, they want to lean in they want to dive into that and, and really that's where the, the transformation happens um i'm diverging a little bit but i'll come back to your question yeah for me the word transformation is my it's it's my favorite word and i know from experience that it can only happen when we develop a more loving or we develop the courage to dive into the unknown and another word for the unknown is, is the present moment. You know, if, if we're stuck in the pattern of the past, the past, and we're predicting our future based on what's happened in the past, then there can't be any transformation. You know, we, we have the same thoughts and feelings most days until we transform. And if we don't transform, we get 30 years down the line and we're still having exactly the same thoughts, feelings and actions and nothing changes. So... I'm all about transformation and transformation can only happen in this sweet spot of the present moment. Transformation can't happen in victim consciousness. It's impossible. So part of the work that we do is helping guys to pull out of this victim consciousness to really experience a felt sense of presence. And from that felt sense of presence to really feel into intuition and insights and and creativity and potential that they might not have seen before when they're stuck in in the past which a lot of men are most of the day so coming back to your question the programs that we run at memory that masks are really transformative experiences that help men to really drop into present moment awareness and from that place they can potentially let go of what's holding them back in the past and see new possibilities in the future that maybe they didn't see before. And we do that through significant experiences. Anybody that knows me, even from my days in rugby is, you know, I, I can be quite intense and I like big experiences. There's a place for therapy. And, you know, and some guys might be so stuck in the past that it requires a long-term therapeutic approach, but that isn't characteristic of our work. You know, our work is, look, we only live once. We don't know when we're going to live to. Let's fucking show up. Let's get the work done in a container of safety with support from other men so we're not alone. And let's move on. Let's move forward into our potential as men. Let's let go of the old script and the old paradigm of masculinity and recreate our new version of masculinity. And that's really unique to you and your flavor as a man. You know, we, we all connect with the same essence on the inside. You know, we've all got a heart. We, we, we all, when we drop into to the present moment, can connect to something bigger than ourselves. But on the outside of that, you might like salt and vinegar crisp. I like pickled onion. And another guy likes cheese and onion. But the, the work I do is, is unifying a level of connectivity and sameness amongst men. So there's a tribal, there's a sense of belonging again because we spend too much time alone. 
but then we explore our uniqueness and how we want to express that in the world. So in summary, to your first question, I know we're getting quite deep here early on. Uh, Member That Masks is just a service. It's an organization. It's a movement that I created to, um, to really help men to transform. Um, and I have a team around me. I run retreats. I'm running a 10-day retreat on the 1st of April in Peru, which is for guys that have already completed my five-day retreat in the UK. I run one-day events in the UK. I offer private coaching. And we're also just in the process of creating our own Facebook community, free community walks, and an online platform. Um, the reason all that hasn't manifested yet in its fullness is because I've just spent so many years consulting for World Rugby. Uh, and and I recently gave that up in uh, in December of last year. So this is, I guess, me for the first time in my life, full time into entrepreneurship. Cool. There's so many different uh, strands there that I could um, chat about. One is you mentioned the kind of modern masculinity or new masculinity versus the older. What what do you see that as? I mean, we all have different experiences, of course, and my experience might not be the same as yours. My experience might be not the same as another man. You know, my experience was, was, in my judgment, growing up quite stereotypical in the sense of it was quite patriarchal in this. When what I mean by that is I inherited that to be a man, you ought to be quite dominant, show your aggression, not show your soft nurturing side, live a life of control, have a vision, put goals in place, get up with a lot of discipline and go for it. Um, you know, I, I was I was raised as a stereotypical alpha. You know, my dad wasn't like that really, but growing up, the messages I downloaded from mum and dad, especially watching TV, was that they used to applaud the alphas, you know, the the guys in battle, the rugby players, the soccer players, the, the guys who achieved kind of victory and won things and and they kind of seem to shun the sensitive guys, the more feminine guys, we could say. So I grew up thinking that in order to be a man, I had to be like this. And I was bullied at school and my mum knew that and she helped me to stand up for myself. Sometimes she'd make me fight with guys that bullied me and sounds a bit extreme, but it it, it helped me to stand up for myself. So, so I, and, and then I got into rugby when I was eight. So I'm kind of this stereotypical masculine guy, dominate, don't take no shit, stand up for yourself, be really direct, don't show sadness, keep anger contained and, and just be this sporty guy and this muscular guy and the guy that trained and the guy that trained himself to be this kind of disciplined um, action man, so to speak. And I didn't really know until later on in my life when I got, which really started, um, I wanted to say 14 years ago, which is when I got into yoga and I started to open up to the other parts of myself that I'd repressed. But to be honest, um, being quite open here, it probably started before that in my, in my twenties, I, I kind of went on a journey for a few years of, of going clubbing and taking ecstasy and, and not telling anybody, but realizing that that experience was opening me up to a, a love inside of me that 
I'd, I'd suppressed and it enabled me to feel that and under the influence express that but then to put it to bed and not show it in in, in my rugby world but getting into getting into yoga 14 years ago um on an intense experience in thailand that really kind of made me realize that Craig, you're not the man you think you are there's other elements that you've repressed growing up and maybe you need to look at and express and there's a bit of darkness in you. you. You know, I've got a lot of suppressed rage. You know, what you're rageful about and um, where's your shame coming from? But also through yoga in those early days, touching bliss and euphoria and expansion and, and, and what felt like a connection to spirit and thinking, wow, where's that coming from? Maybe that was always there and I suppressed it. So, um so yeah, in summary, I was raised as this typical stereotypical alpha, but over the last 14 years, especially, it's I've realized that there's so many other elements to my makeup as a man and different ways that I can connect and express in the world. And, and in my experience, I feel more whole um, and I feel more connected to the world because I'm not only able to connect with guys that are like me, which I did for so many years in rugby. And I actually think whether it's the armed forces or whether it's men's groups or whether it's rugby or soccer teams, the typical guy would become so comfortable and safe within those environments, it becomes addicted, it becomes addictive. And outside of that, in the domain of intimate relationships, those guys struggle. And that was me, but a victory for me is in recent times, I've realized that the safety I've experienced amongst men can also be felt within my intimate relationship. And I've had to fucking work hard to make that happen and to realize and to listen and to be more present and to not back off. But now for the first time in my life, there's, there's so much safety and respect within my intimate relationship that I don't have to run off to a men's group to hide from that responsibility. And again, I've gone off on a tangent there, but hey, why not? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think my experience as well in rugby teams, that's exactly the way, well, in the past, the way you have had to be. And I think, like I say, then there's comfort in that because you know exactly what to do and to push and to achieve and to win. But yeah, I would never have, you would never have thought of being any other way but that in those environments. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's tribal, isn't it? You know, you feel safe, you feel one of many, you, there's a sense of belonging, you feel seen, you feel heard, there's testosterone, you're moving in the same direction. It's, it's a we, isn't it? It's it's a kind of real felt sense of humanity, really. Um, and like I said to you before, maybe, I, I mean, let's talk about rugby because we're both rugby men, but maybe this is generalisation, but I do see still a lot of coaches, especially the comfortable in that space of men, but they have relationship difficulties. There's avoidance. The way they talk about the intimate relationship is 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 quite terrible, actually. It's that toxic masculinity of 
of blaming your partner and talking negatively about your partner behind her back. And uh, yeah, I mean, I am here to tell you that that was me until I realized that uh, there's no separation. Safety comes from within me, whether I'm with my missus or whether I'm with a bunch of women or whether I'm with a bunch of men. But for years, it was so much easier for me to be around men than it was to be around women. And it probably still is, but it's shifting. The dial is shifting. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I just feel blessed, really, to have done the work. And the work continues in relationship. It's the big piece for me. Yeah, Chad, I'm thinking of um, Dennis Rodman uh, from, you know, the Chicago Bulls. And he actually just came up in a in a recent podcast. Someone did theming on him. But, uh, like, that environment, the NBA, like, very similar. And the NBA back then was very physical as well. Like, it was a very physical sport. And then you had someone like him who was one of the best in the world. And the way he carried himself, very unique, very interesting. Like, I... I don't know, have you ever seen any rugby player anywhere near some something like him or someone like him? Um that's a that's a good question. Well, well, don't forget when at the Bulls he had Phil Jackson. Yeah. You know, he was a diamond, you know, really kind of spiritual guy and understood unique expressions of men and knew when to rein someone in and when to give freedom. And um, so that was a blessing for someone like Rodman. But to be honest, I've never been asked that question before, but but looking back, I mean, and was Andy Powell a Dennis Rodman, you know, that was misunderstood? You know, what a brilliant player he was that maybe didn't reach his full potential, if you ask him. Um, was, a Dan, was a Cipriani a Dennis Rodman that did well, but probably didn't reach his potential, if you ask him that question? So I, I do think they exist, and I think we potentially see more and more now. There's a few Mavericks at Harlequins. I did some consultancy with Harlequins a couple of seasons ago, and I really loved it, actually. The fact that they've got characters like that, and they were looking for a, a head coach to allow them to, 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 to express that and not kind of repress that. Uh, it was just too far for me. I couldn't continue it. So, um, yeah, I think there are. Going back to what I just said as well, I don't want... I don't want it to come across that, you know, I, I see rugby as this macho, toxic environment. I don't. It was my experience a while ago, but to be honest, that was in me. And I was just projecting it on the world of rugby. There's some incredible human beings working in rugby. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of being working with people like Pat Howard. A lot of people might not remember Pat Howard. He played for the Wallabies. He was a coach of Leicester, Leicester Tigers when I was working for Leicester Tigers. And, for me, a tremendous character that could be direct, very masculine, but also in touch with the nurturing, soft, spontaneous, flowing side as well. And um, and I've also been blessed on my own journey to have spent the last, until recently, kind of on and off, probably the last eight years, eight to 10 years in South America with teams in South America and experiencing certain coaches are again also in touch with with a level of wholeness that I, that I haven't seen before in the northern hemisphere so going to South America on my journey was actually part of my healing because it connected me to a culture that were more kinesthetic that were more loving that were more open and um and I'm very I'm very blessed to have had that experience 
Mm. You, you make great points there with the the players you mentioned and 100%. And once again, you know, when I talk about my experience, it's just my experience. And what I think I found with, uh, say, a lot of coaches would be they'd be afraid to let certain personalities be themselves out oh. of fear. Oh. Yeah. I should also give Warren Gatlin to mention because that's probably Warren's super strength, to be honest. From the outside looking in, he might not look like he's got technical skills compared to someone like Eddie Jones, but Warren's capacity to allow people to flourish and be themselves in the environment is is, is second to none, really. What did he do differently? He allowed, he just allowed people to be themselves and they asked the right questions and, um, yeah, celebrated uniqueness, celebrated unique expression. And, yeah, I just think he's got a knack of understanding individuals. Yeah, and do you think within a team environment, uh, something like this has come up for, but with them, um, as a team you have to be aligned, of course. You have to all be going in the same direction. Could one's uniqueness ever be detrimental to the team? Or... I mean, of course, it, of course it could, but then you've got to wind that guy in, haven't you? And, 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 and um, as a coach or as a leader of a group, you've constantly got to be calibrating the two sides of love, the two sides of leadership, which are support and challenge. You know, if that happens, does the guy need support or does he need to be brought in and slapped around the, around the head, you know, for, for, from a place of love? Because both support mm. and challenge are actually from a place of love if trust exists between those two people. Um, so, yeah, of, of course, there may be times when the outlier is taking so much energy from the head coach that you need to get rid of him, of course. But 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 that but the coach has got to make that decision. And I think the coaches that are more in touch with 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 intuition and or have a balance between intuition and right brain, left brain are the ones that can make the, the better decisions in that area. Yeah. And something you mentioned earlier, talking about the courage to be in the present moment and talking about how we we live in the past and we worry about the future and yeah 100 percent chat chat to me a bit more about yeah that that can encourage me in the present moment or how how people do that i mean i mean as men i mean it applies to women of course as well but as men especially because historically we've been conditioned to be thinking machines We've condition, been conditioned to think our way and to lead with thinking and fixing and processing and systems. And, and we've, I mean, look at the world. It's, it's incredible in terms of the manifestation of the seed of thought into citizen technology. And it's just fucking incredible. It's like we're on an alien planet compared to 100 years ago. But that's at the expense of our feeling centers and our heart and the wisdom of our heart and the intelligence of our heart and our gut. Um, so you can't be in the present moment when your attention is constantly on thinking. If thinking is necessary, of course, but 
we've been conditioned to be there so much. And also advertising companies know how to make us addicted to even more thinking that, you know, it, it, it's just relentless. Um, so on one hand, society knows how to keep us in our thinking minds. But on the other hand, you know, on a, on a subconscious level, especially if there's a reason why guys are busy, especially if they're blocking out feelings or they're blocking out trauma or they're blocking out um, the capacity to stop. You know, we keep going, but it's only when we kind of stop and down tools and switch off our phone. I know from the work that I do and helicopter ourselves out of our normal entangled environment and just sit and be around nature that stuff comes up and sometimes we don't want to look at that stuff so stuff comes up only when we enter the doorway of the present moment another way of saying that is stuff repressed stuff comes up only when we enter that doorway into our subconscious mind into the operating system and that can only happen when when we slow down it can sometimes happen after a very cathartic experience where we then stop or it can happen through a meditative experience but um it, it's only in the in the present moment where we can really be in touch with what needs to be expressed but what also was repressed growing up in our childhood you know there's an unconscious reason why we, we keep ourselves busy because you know we don't want to feel what what was felt during during childhood whether that was a major trauma or little micro traumas or um uncomfortable experiences that kept repeating themselves so the present moment is only where we can un unpack that stuff and it's it can be scary that's why we don't want to stop that's why men don't want to stop it, it it's it's scary and that's one of the reasons I created Men Without Masks. And it's one of the reasons why, if I'm working one-on-one -on -one with someone, once we have established trust and safety, I actually love, I have to love my clients. I have to really, really fucking love them because it's that love and it's that being seen that allows the confidence for my clients to really trust that it's going to be okay in the present moment. But it's scary, yeah. you know, everybody, everybody talks about meditation and present moment awareness and it sounds like a fluffy thing, but it's not. Now, when you go there and the more you go there, the more, the more you have experiences of nothingness and the more you have experiences of vastness and expansiveness and you realise it's not scary, yet you realise it's a place of anchoring and grounding and insights and potential, then you can actually say, wow, this is a fucking doorway into a new me. I'm going to actually go there more often. And in the beginning, it might have to be in a formal way. That's why we live in a world where meditation exists and, you know, ecstatic dance exists and apps exist and breathwork exists and movement exists and sound therapy exists. Because it, we, we, in the beginning, we need a formal way of, of, of going there and remembering, oh, this feels like home. Oh. And then for me, once I've cultivated that capacity and I still have a meditative practice, the real meditation becomes real life meditation in relationship, in, in intimate relationship, 
holding presence with my eyes, not interrupting, listening, breathing with her, protecting my boundaries, maybe having a little micro practice to ground myself before I go home after her day at work so I don't take my shit home. But, um, but the how of present moment does need to be understood because it can seem a mystical thing sometimes. And guys think, what the fuck is he talking about? But once it becomes normalized, um, it becomes normal. I mean, even mystical experiences, you know, once you know how to, or to cultivate a sense of groundedness and present moment awareness, it's not mystical anymore. I mean, I have mystical experience every time I close my eyes, really, if I'm being honest. And there's people around now in the world, one of them is Dr. Joe Dispenza and the work he's doing is normalizing mystical experiences. You don't have to go to a mountaintop in, in Thailand to experience a mystical experience. You can experience it right now in, in, in the comfort of your own home on Zoom. 100%. I have his book here next to me. Um, and when yeah. you're talking, I was just thinking, um, yeah, he's brilliant. And but those experiences, sorry, be, without becoming addicted to that experience, which is a, sometimes it sometimes happens, because, ah, I want it more without becoming addicted to it. It does change things when you do have an experience of, oh, fucking hell, can't feel my body. Wow. My thoughts are like clouds. I'm not invested in them. Whoa, it does change things. It's almost as if we get an upgrade in our nervous system. And then we almost pull ourselves away from victim consciousness. And we can really start that process of, of, of transformation. Yeah. And something just from my experience, what I've found you, you when you talk about like um, going into the present moment and how it's scary, and I understand how you know, when you're say work, 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 or go, 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 or, or just doing something and you're consciously, sorry, you're always living in the rational thinking mind that to step outside of that, it just scares you and you just don't do it. And when you, you start to do it and it's very uncomfortable, but then, you know, and you feel it in your body, like you feel like a huge discomfort in your body when you start to do it. And it's like, oh no, but what I found is the more and more you do it, like you say, then it becomes beautiful. And then you tap into the subconscious and ideas come up. And so yeah, yeah. what I've been, I've been just, just through my own experience the last couple, couple of years and relating this back to rugby, because I work with rugby players, predominantly different athletes, but when you're in the flow state on the field, sorry, to play your best on the field, you want to be in the flow state, in the zone. And the reason that you are at your best is because you're just intuitively playing and the subconscious gives you the ideas. So that's why you you just feel the right option to take. And that's your subconscious giving it to you. You're not thinking. Thinking is a second later. And then in everyday life, I'm just, you know, in the last couple of years, learned about manifesting and all this um, world as well. But um when you do slow down, when you do be present, when you do switch off um, that thinking mind, the best, the ideas just come to you. It just tells you what to do. Yeah, of course. But if you've never experienced that, it, it, it's it's woo-woo, isn't it? It's a bit hocus-pocus. It's, 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 it's a felt experience. It's, and, and 
what a lot of men don't realize is like if I say, like if you're a typical, let's, let's say you're, you're a bloke that's busy, is lost in his head, is a fixer. He doesn't really have a connection with his body and his feelings for whatever reason, but he's, he's in his head all the time. If I say to him, mate, once you connect with your body and you really cultivate a relationship with your heart and you feel that, it will change your life and you'll be a better decision maker. You're not only making decisions with your thought, you're making decisions with your heart and your intuition. He just, he'll try to understand it with his cognitive mind and you can't, mm. you can't understand it cognitive mind it's a felt sense a hundred percent a hundred percent and um i think then maybe alcohol is or different it comes into it then for people like that what i found once it was just my own experiences that's when you're out of your head you know when you're drunk you're out of your head and so people like that then they they somewhat know what what it's like yeah, of course. but it's not remembered in the nervous system um mm. but yeah i mean what I'll, i mean alcohol I'm, I'm again i'm not against alcohol but someone that's got excessive drinking problem i mean what happens when they drink is it allows them to the shadow comes out and there's two aspects of the shadow one aspect of the shadow is 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 if we call we could call the golden shadow it's all the lovely kind of parts of ourselves and that maybe we don't show to the world and loving part of ourselves and kindness and softness and, and 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 beautiful expression and the other side of the shadow is the dark stuff it's the rage it's just the breast anxiety it's it's the shame that we don't want to look at and and and, and those two sides can come out under alcohol you know mr mr softness can come out you know where we're hugging all our friends and kissing them and mr angry can come out where we're fighting with our friends yeah 100 percent and what kind of um different exercises or tools or things do you think work well to help people be in the present moment more throughout their day i mean it, it's i mean i mean i'd i'd love to say to your brain i'd love to say to you I'd, I'd even love to say to you in 10 years you know mate forget it all drop everything just be present but 90% of our programs are just running and running, same thoughts, same feelings, same actions, same thoughts, same feelings, same actions. I'd love to be able to say that to you, but if I say that to you, you'll still be suffering 20 years in the, in the future and you won't have changed. You're still feeling anger, sadness, guilt, shame, hurt every fucking day, and you never feel content, gratitude, acceptance, joy. You never feel those things. So, so we do need a practice, I believe. Now, the, to answer your question, the obvious one is nature. You know, we connect with nature. You don't need a meditation program. You just actually make the commitment to get into nature, spend a few hours in nature, have an awareness of nature, not be on your phone, connect with the sky, connect with the trees, connect with the ground underneath your feet, breathe in nature, fascinate yourself with nature. And, and it's a calibrator. It brings you back into homeostasis and balance and you feel better. So nature's the obvious one in doing things in nature. Um, some people need catharsis so exercise can be a beautiful doorway into presence if you're not on your phone the key word here to, to back up what i'm saying is intention like if you're exercising but you're on your phone every two seconds you're exercising but there's an intention to be on your phone 
But if, but if, and this is where exercise can become a sacred practice. If you don't have your phone with you and you set an intention within to exercise mindfully, to feel everything, to feel the barbell, to coordinate your breath and feel your whole body and feel that maybe that anger inside that can be present with that anger and let it out. And then in your rest periods, just be, I don't know if you've seen Olympic lifting teams train. I, I remember seeing the Polish Olympic weightlifting team train years and years ago and they'd lift and then they put a towel over the head and just be on their own, hmm. you know, cultivating presence in between sets. Um, so, so yes, coming back to what I'm saying, exercise can be cathartic. It's an expression. There's, there's stillness at the end of it. If you have the right intention, you know, so is movement. So is screaming at a pillar. So is screaming in your car. So is running a marathon. So is beating the shit out of a pillar. So, so there's a cathartic practice that some people resonate more with. I remember when I used to do 10 day silent meditation retreats and, and I, and I, and I got into it and it worked for me, but there was a lot of people they'd walk out halfway through and it's not for me this, they needed more catharsis. So some people need more catharsis, a release expression, release tension in the body. And then they, they can feel that presence. And other people, it might be through sight, you know, that the senses are potential doorways into it might be sight. It might be looking at something beautiful. It might be looking at, into your partner's eyes. Some people cultivate presence, uh, presence through the, the sensation of talking, reading beautiful poems can pull them into the present. Um, breath work is obviously a buzzword these days because it's the doorway between the mind and the body. And, you know, it, it, it can recalibrate us back into presence. If you've really done, if you've done a lot of breath work, you'll know what I mean. But even breath work can be cathartic or it can be very peaceful and slow. Um, and yoga, um, martial arts, um, all forms of meditation, whether that's a, a very dry meditation where you become like the sky and you're witnessing the thoughts from a detached place or a more devotional meditation where you're really evoking the, the emotions that you want to feel more in your life and you're connecting with your heart. So there's, you know, there's so many ways to, to, to cultivate presence mm. in, in a formal sense. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, yeah. Like singing, you say, singing, dancing. Yeah. And like you said, I think, you know, we all live in the modern world as well. It's not unless you want to become a monk but it's um i think about finding it what works for you what works for you you know like you mentioned all those different things which are all brilliant and um yeah what works for you and how you can fit it into your day and something i talk about a lot or what has helped me is a morning routine so like just i've, I've mentioned quite a bit but um what i've found until now and i'm sure it'll change what works for me is get up, have a cold shower, meditate and work out. And yeah. I've just found that that helps me with my day. And don't get me wrong, even over the last couple of days, I found myself just kind of worrying about stupid shit or just thinking about stupid stuff. And I know I'm even aware of it myself. I'm like, Brian, stop, stop, stop. But then, you know, but um, it's not, yeah, it's not that it's a, a 100% or a black and white that, you know, you do this and you're all good. But um. 
I suppose I have an awareness of that now, which which is very helpful, which I wouldn't have had a couple of years ago. But yeah, the, I mean, the morning routine is non-negotiable. Obviously, it's tricky if you've got four kids. It, it is practically tricky. But um, yeah, I mean, most. But what do most people do? They they switch the phone on, don't they? And straight away, you in you in someone else's business. So it's really important in my life. It's important to have the first two hours uh, as a, as a sacred time. I don't always do exactly the same thing, but it, but it's sacred without the telephone. Yeah, that's huge. Something it's huge. I do a morning, an hour in the morning, an hour at night. So, yeah, don't open it for the first hour, the last hour. And something I've even tried recently is not, not to be, not to like check, try not to check anything before noon. So, like say, but then you know you kind of do, but like emails, texts, or say personal stuff because you know I'll find that my flow state or deep work is another book I really enjoyed. But um, if I'm trying to get quality stuff done. If I'm checking a text message after an hour of stuff, my mind goes that way. Or if I'm checking emails after an hour or 90 minutes, my mind is scattered, becomes somewhat scattered. So I'm I'm trying more and more to push it out a few hours even to get quality work done. I mean, when you open your eyes in the morning, it's also the best time to access those deep states and to really kind of um I mean, you're already in the doorway of your unconscious when you open your eyes because you've woke up and you're still in those lower brainwave states. If you switch on your phone, you, you're jumping back into beta, which is a, a waking state of stress. High beta is a waking state of stress hormones and to-do list. And it's important to, 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 if you like, remain in that calmness as long as you can, really, before you go into the, the usual to-do list and uh, problems in life yeah and a way I kind of think about it or chat to people about is um embracing the boredom or you know because once again I, I know myself what's like I used to wake up my phone and then you're just constantly on or your the mind's constantly in fifth gear and but the boredom is the present moment or that's the way i've kind of thought about it you know of course i mean habits are so ingrained aren't they? it takes a while to break them and, and and like and you mentioned something earlier about uh meditation being hard but then you have the drive to pull yourself to stay there and stay there and it got easier and i mean that process happens in every aspect of learning whenever you go into something new it's the unknown and you can't you, you always have three stages in the unknown it's that struggle of fuck is this is this for me it's hard let's continue oh actually i've had a glimpse oh actually yeah it's part of my life whether you're preferring for an exam or whether you're getting into meditation you you um you can't get away from those three stages, but unfortunately, people stop at the first stage in regarding meditative practice. This is not for me. It's too difficult. I'm supposed to be stopping my thoughts, which is an illusion, and I can't do it. So there's a lot of that around uh, meditative ex ex practices where people, uh, if they just persist a little bit more, and that's where groups are handy, they could uh, they could have a powerful experience that would change their lives. 100% it is um very very challenging at the start uh, something 
you mentioned earlier um the word manifesting and once again something i'm i'm learning understanding myself and uh tied in with letting go and not controlling anymore which is very challenging and once again i think this is directly related i know it's directly related to being a good rugby player on the field is letting go not letting go of outcomes um letting go of oh i hope i play well today i hope i this happens i hope that happens letting go of it all and just playing and the same with life or once again i'm finding that yes you have a goal yes you you're ambitious yes you work hard yes you do those things you know you do all those things but it's letting go of what will happen tomorrow i th- i think um you mentioned the word manifestation and and that and, and and that word obviously can sometimes seem a bit fluffy um and and i think letting go of the outcome is is an important part of 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 rehearsal but but i think before you let go of control i do believe that the rehearsal of what's going to happen in your future is really really potentially powerful is if it's a positive rehearsal and this is what people don't understand you know your brain and your nervous system doesn't know the difference between an external input and an internal input for example I could sit here now with you and I can evoke from the inside out for half an hour feelings of kindness, feelings of positivity, feelings of love, feelings of of presence and evoke that into the next few hours of my day and have an internal belief of how I'm going to show up. And my nervous system doesn't know whether that's coming from the outside through my environment or whether that's come through the inside it doesn't know so the practice of rehearsal not only mental rehearsal and imagery because that's just part of part of it as you know but the practice of also thinking what it's going to be like and but more importantly the key point for me is is the evoking of the feeling the evoking of the feeling because we're all stuck in the limited emotions of anger sadness fear hurt guilt and shame and we need to retrain our bodies to become familiar again with the elevated emotions of kindness, compassion, gratitude, appreciation, joy, even euphoria, because they've been they've been relegated and, and we throughout because of where we place our attention, we've normalized emotions. And we think it's normal to feel a lot of anger and a lot of sadness and a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And it's not normal. It's a sign that we're in victim consciousness and we're running our life on survival instead of creativity. And this is obviously talking about Joe Dispenza's work, which I'm influenced by. But the key word, which is the most important word in the work I do, and it aligns with where I've come from, is training and practice. It's training and practice and training and practice. We have to train ourselves to think, feel, visualize, speak, and act in a different way. Otherwise, we'll, we'll be just swept away by our environment. Mm. Yeah, 
Oh, such great points. And I can absolutely remember, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this, but I remember as a kid, there were certain teams and jerseys I wanted to wear. And I remember running around and feeling 100% as if I were in that team, in that on that field with those players. But I was with my friends on the under-14s in my local club. And even recently, over recent years or whatever, I'll walk around and I'll be given post-match interviews while I'm walking in the forest um, mm. and I, you mentioned euphoria and joy and all that as if I'm already the coach of this team and mm. feeling it and 100% feeling it. And that's, uh, as I, I remember it as a kid and I got to wear some of those jerseys and play on those teams and it just, it works so much. But what I, I mean, find it, seems, it seems woo-woo, doesn't it? Because we've grown up in that Newtonian reality of you are the product of your external environment and it doesn't work in reverse. So it seems alien, but it's a game changer. I mean, before every single Zoom, before this podcast for five minutes, I sat here visualizing and, and being grateful for the connection and, and thanking you at the end and feeling in my body that, oh, wow, that was a great interview. I do it before every single client. Yeah. And the feeling is... Yeah, it's such a different level. Like the like you say, the visualizing your future success, but then um feeling it as well. And and like you say, you can do with tiny little things, like you said, this zoom. And it's something, you know, a challenge for me still, certainly, don't get me wrong. Like I have those experiences where, like I said, I'll be walking along as if I'm already that person for for 10, 30 minutes, whatever it is, but it's um accessing that as a and I suppose what is it? that's the training yourself to of to course. get into those feelings. That, that that's what it is. Is it? it's just it's yeah, a training, and the more that you do your, it, your nervous system is just a download of information, and then it processes that and acts on it. That's all it is. So the practice is just changing the information that goes into your nervous system. I mean, I have clients coming to visit me here where I live in Hebden Bridge, and it's beautiful nature. And uh, we, we use nature to cultivate a different message as well. You know, sometimes we'll walk over a bridge and I'll have clients feeling and thinking how they limit themselves and then imagining how they want to feel and think and what believe about themselves when they get to the end of the bridge. You know, and, 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 and sometimes we'll do walking meditations, otherwise we just end up talking shit. Whereas I'll get them to stop at a tree and evoke who they want to be when they reach another tree, which is about 400 meters in the, in the distant. And then when you vote that emotion, we you vote, they might say that I want to feel confident or unstoppable. I say, right, cultivate that. How does it feel? What's your posture of that? How did you, how do you breathe when you feel that? What happens in your face? Feel that now. And I want you to intensify that when we walk for the next hundred meters. And then we just walk and he intensifies it and he imagines himself in the future feeling that. So, the more rehearsal we can do, um, the more our nervous system downloads it, and the interpret the brain's interpretation of that is, I'm not the person I thought I was. So we can change our personality, especially through practices like rehearsal. Mm. And I think it's something that's closely linked or aligned with this, the alter ego. So, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant became the black mamba tyson fury becomes a gypsy king um becoming the person now they you know 
performers and this is the same musicians um musicians do it too they have a stage name and they become something else but i suppose it's it's somewhat linked with that like you you you're becoming 100%, yeah 100%. Certain person. actors are the same yeah they go into uh, yeah, yeah and, and there's a danger there actually if they have to practice for six months being a raging alcoholic yeah. you know, like, <laughs> there's a danger there for sure yeah. for sure they yeah. you know they you, know, you sometimes hear of actors after a, a, a period of being a dark character of, of struggle after it you know big time yeah that's the power that's the power of rehearsal yeah and then once again just a same but a different way of of, of thinking about it is um yeah or sorry i and this happened to me so i when i was a kid growing up i wanted to play with ireland wanted to wear an irish jersey and the youngest age was under 18 so i from the age of eight or nine i was like i want to play for the ireland under 18s i want to get my jersey up on the wall in my local club i didn't make the under 18s because i was I didn't have confidence when it got to the Irish camp. I was in the camps, in three camps, and then I just lost confidence and just fight or flight. I froze. Sorry, I just froze. And anyway, after that, after beating myself up for six weeks, then a coach rang me up. was like, oh, I think you're really good. Do you want to come to this province, to my home province, Connacht? And then I was like, oh, he thinks I'm really good. Maybe I am good. I'll have another crack at getting into this Irish team next year. And I, I looked at the guys who were picked the 23, and I saw that they were all very confident and they walked a certain way. They talked a certain way. They looked coaches in the eye. They projected their voice. They they were nearly all a certain way. And that wasn't the way I was. And I realized, I was like, it's not the gym. It's not the skills really that I'm lacking. It's the confidence. And so I knew nothing about anything about the mental side of anything back at this 17, 18 years of age. But I realized, I was like, I need to become a confident player. And I just started walking and talking like the guys who have been picked for that under 18 team. And lo and behold, next year, I made the under 19 team. And I just literally just kept walking and talking as if I was a confident player. And I just became it. Yeah. It's funny you should mention Ireland because in my in my judgment of not really knowing what's going on behind the scenes, in my judgment, a lot of people don't realize that especially probably over the last 10 to 15 years the Irish players have done a lot of work in this area I remember when I used to work for Wales and I remember before one game at the Millennium Stadium I remember looking at Warren Gatland and saying fucking hell Warren who do these guys think they are you know it, it was obvious that they 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 would ongoing un some kind of training around body language and the perception of of what other people think of them and and then you and I know that the Irish culture in recent times was perhaps the opposite. And, and you know, within Irish rugby, they've managed to see that as a potential area of growth. And for sure, the, 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 the confidence oozes through Irish rugby players now like never before. But I think that's the result of 20 years of work, recognising it was a limitation. Yeah, 100% from the outside looking in, 100%. Um, and it's incredible the way they are now and the way they carry themselves now and the way they they keep marching forwards. Yeah. What, um, thanks, Mo, for your time. It's been unreal chatting. What, 
would be some things that so you've worked with literally the best teams in the world the lions wales leicester wasps like um what would be some things that now you would bring into environments and i know environment that was say 10 15 20 years ago and environments i'm sure have changed but if you were to go into a full-time rugby environment you're a full-time on a two-year contract you're brought in what would be some things that you would look to implement of course i'm sure you'd look at the environment as it is and see and not judge straight away but what would be a couple of things thinking now oh i, I think i'd like to do this i think i'd like to do this um it's not an easy one to answer because i have a lot of tools that i could bring into that environment but the obvious one, which I've actually done with the Uruguay team, um, the obvious one is rehearsal. You know, rehearsal, 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 individual rehearsal with unit rehearsal, team rehearsal, emotional rehearsals, thinking rehearsal, imagery rehearsal. That's the obvious one. Um, but but creating safety and selling that in a way that cultivates self-belief is where I would really earn my money. It's not just going in there and doing rehearsal. It's actually getting buy-in. That is, that is why I would probably charge a lot of money to do that because that's my skill set. Um, so yeah, rehearsal is the obvious one. Um, the second one is as well as connecting at the level of sameness in terms of, you know, what do we identify with? What gives us a sense of teamness? It, it, it's really important to understand individuals and let them flourish and let them express themselves in their own unique flavor. It really, really is important to do that and to, to harness the belief within the squad that that's okay, it's a positive. It's okay for the guy over there to be um, expressing and talking and screaming before a game. And it's okay for that guy over there to be with his towel over his head, with his headphones on, listening to transcendental meditation. You know, it's that uniqueness that fosters buy-in because when we can fully express who we are without the fear of repressing that, boom, then you've got a dangerous man on your hands. So that's kind of it really, and I could... Yeah, and the other one is giving everybody a voice as well and and, and um, within their, their own sphere of, of how they like to speak. But those, those are the main ones. The big one is rehearsal and the second one is individual expression and cultivating a culture where you get out of bed in the morning and you can be yourself in that environment. Brilliant, yeah. And the rehearsal is something that I've, you know, as I said, to we've chatted about doing myself but sometimes i'm thinking in a team and, and would you bring the players into a, a room and help them get into that meditative state into like you say lower 100%. the brain waves and, and then yeah. walk them through um going into that match walk them through feeling how it will feel when the final whistle goes and feeling that then they will feel that euphoria and those those feelings that will well, yeah. come as if they're in the moment 100 percent, but it's more powerful and not a lot of coaches are open to this it's like whoa to be honest we're in a, we're in history now where i think the players are much more open than the whole the older coaches but the, the the rehearsal thing becomes more powerful 
if me going in as a consultant work with the coaching staff and the, co the coaching staff have a felt sense of what I'm talking about and then they just deliver it with as normality yeah. a big mistake in in rugby is you know you get coaches or consultants or trainers and they see something on the internet they've not felt it themselves and they try and implement it well it never works because players are not stupid they can they can suss out a bullshitter from someone that's actually felt yeah. exactly what he's talking about um so coming back to what I said, um, it's it's more powerful when it comes to the coaching staff. And it's not, and so the coach, the, the coach doesn't say, guys, we're going to do a new technique now called rehearsal, or we're going to do breath work today, guys. We're going to do some mental recovery. It's just, it's just weaved into everything. Yeah. And then it's just normalized. Everything's normalized. Right, guys, come in. Before we do this unit session, come in. Why don't you close your eyes, feel it. Feel the power in your feet. You know, feel that power. Feel that confidence. What does it feel like in your spine? Make the visualization. You know what I mean? How are you going to feel after it? What's the look on your face after it? Right. Hold it for eight seconds. Go. Boom. Into scrums. You know, if there's fear around, if there's like we're introducing something new, to the players just think it's bullshit. So it just has to become normalized. Even mental recovery. Fucking great session, guys. Lie on the floor. What? Lie on the floor. When you lie down, be quiet. Don't move for like four minutes. Look at the sun. Feel the warmth. Feel your body reacting to the warmth of the sun. Feel your belly softening. Feel all your cells regenerating. And at the end, people people don't say that was fucking hocus pocus. It's just normal because the normality is from your delivery. No, hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's uh, no, hundred percent. And I just kind of I laughed a little bit because I kind of I I see it a disparity from where I think a lot of I know a lot of environments are and how it just literally just makes sense to me. And it it, it seems so where I'm at, it seems stupid not to, you know, to put so much focus on. You know, I even had it. Uh, I, I'm done. I finish up now, but um, yeah, I was going into um talks for a school and and with clubs and stuff over Christmas and when I was back in Ireland I'm doing them here but um, I remember one one coach was like oh we've got a final this Saturday so we, we'll leave it now we'll do it the following week and I was kind of thinking oh guys um, you know how many training sessions on the you know I didn't say it but like you've done a hundred training sessions on the field with these guys these under 17 kids they've some of these practices with them um, mindfulness or different stuff to help them with nerves they've never done and they still see it as oh this is a little fluffy added extra that we will do but not before a big game of course I, I do think it's it's a generalization but i do think i'm not even going to call it psychology because it's not you know this 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 kind of you know training the mind training the body training rehearsal mental recovery breath work meditation flow states um I do think it would in theory work better if it's through the staff. Because mm. one but they have to have a felt sense of ah okay I, now I feel it. Yeah. The staff and probably... then you know obviously the players need help as well, but it, it needs to be normalized and to normalize it, it goes through the staff and the leadership team. Yeah, the staff need the the help as well as the players, and it all needs to be done together but also uh, Ashley Jones is one of the best at this giving players options you know in this field of mindfulness whatever you want to call it 
it's, it's important that it's not one size fit all fits all because players like to have choice. And if I've got up on my gym wall a huge banner with uh, doorways into presence, you know, I should be able to choose one of them. And it might be, right, guys, 15 minutes after training, choose a doorway, off you go. The same way that that someone like Asher Jones would, would prescribe weight training. He was he was famous for giving guys options, you know, so they could choose exercises. It wasn't one size fits all. Same approach. Yeah. Hey, Craig, thank you so much for your time. I'm very grateful for it. Really enjoyed the chat. And I, as I've mentioned before, and I follow you on LinkedIn, but um, let people know, is that the best place to, to find you? you? Can find, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, craigwhitementoring.com, menwithoutmasks.com. Uh, have a look at our Men Without Masks YouTube channel. Um, and um, yeah, you can find Men Without Masks and Craig White Mentoring on, it, on Instagram and, and, and Facebook. Brilliant. Cheers. No worries. Cheers for listening in today. If you're ambitious, want to overcome setbacks and achieve big things, check out my new book. The links to the paperback and audio version are in the podcast description. And there you'll also find the link to the Audible free trial. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting the results that you've always got. It's really simple. And the next 12 months are going to be the exact same for you as the last 12 months were. If you're serious about getting different results in your life, get in touch with me through offfieldrugby.com. I work one-on-one with not just players and coaches, but anyone with a growth mindset who wants to get more out of life. Please send the pod on to some friends. I'd really appreciate that. And if you want to be an absolute legend, you can leave a rating and a review. Please follow me on social media, that's at Offfield Rugby, and my LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. If you have any questions or thoughts, send them on, I'd love to hear them. Thanks a mil for being here, check out some earlier episodes, and have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.